Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Welcome back to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris. And in case you haven't realized, the Working Well Podcast is not just about being better at work, improving your performance. It's about being better in life and actually having a life that's awesome and enjoyable. Now, I firmly believe that being healthy, happy, and fit is amazing, and my career has been dedicated to helping people experience this. At the fundamental level, most people get this concept, but let's face it, life throws us a lot of curveballs. Some of those curveballs are shared, such as the recent pandemic, but others are unique to each person. However, regardless of the challenges that we face, better health, happiness, and fitness is going to improve our ability to cope and manage over the long term. Now, back in 2017, I originally wrote my book, The Fitness Curveball, and it wasn't with the pandemic in mind, yet the information is more relevant today than ever before. In fact, I had a client recently message me to say that she thought I should have called it the unofficial guide to thriving during a global pandemic. While I appreciated the comments, I'm not going to change the name of the book, but her comments were spot on. The four pillars of personal performance that I covered in the book and that we'll cover today are the foundation for building resilience, health, happiness, and better performance in every area of life, at work and home. Those pillars are mindset, habits, movement, and fuel. And the key is to address them in that order. The struggles that most people face stem from the fact that they're trying to address their challenges in reverse order. Now, you may be tempted to think, what the heck does this have to do with working well? And why are you featuring it on the Working Well podcast? But that's where the health and fitness challenges that many people struggle with each day are directly impacting their performance in the rest of their life. Now, a bit of background may help to explain this more effectively. For those of you who don't know, I started my career in the fitness industry, and this was back in the late 80s. Ah, the days of spandex and neon and aerobics. Those of you who were there, absolutely no. Those of you who weren't, just hope it doesn't come back. I still laugh every time I see some pictures and be like, wow, I can't believe we actually wore that. I can't believe we thought it was cool. But I guess that's like every trend. At the time, I was a young personal trainer just out of university, working with clients. And again, the top two goals were get fit and lose weight, as they still are 30-something years later. The fact that those are still the same goals means that what we were doing and what we're continuing to do doesn't work. And that's where the four pillars of performance come in. So I would work with clients, and I'd see them on average about three days a week in the gym or three hours a week. They'd come in for their session. I'd give them this great workout. They all got more fit, but a lot of them weren't reaching some of the other goals they had, like the weight loss side. I'd give them nutrition advice. I'd give them meal plans, uh, all this diet strategies, and realized that they weren't getting the results they wanted. They still weren't reaching their weight on the scale. 
Because I saw it as my goal to help people get results, I really sat back and thought about what is it that's holding people back? And so I started asking questions. What did they do when they left the gym? And as a young, naive personal trainer, I, I, you know, I gave homework every single session for people to do in between the times that I saw them. And I just assumed that people would actually do it. I didn't think they would slough off their homework because ugh, no one does that. <laughs> but the fact is, outside of the session, there were so many other distractions and parts of life that were impeding their ability to get results in the gym or the things that they hired me to do. So this is where I came up with a rule called my 165-hour rule. So as I mentioned, on average, I saw people about three hours a week. That meant there were 165 other hours in the week that I wasn't seeing them. And those 165 hours were way more important to the results that the person got. Now, this is where it comes into the corporate side, because when I started talking about what the biggest challenges were, the two things that came down to were family commitments and work commitments. They're like, oh, work got busy. I had to work late. I've got kids stuff going on. So I wasn't able to do the things that you asked me to do. That's important to consider. It's also how I came up with my four pillars of personal performance, the mindset habits, movement, and fuel. Think about it this way. People came to me to get fit and lose weight. Yet despite the best workout plans I gave them, the best nutrition advice I could give them, they weren't able to get them done. So that tells me that more fitness and more nutrition advice isn't the solution to the problem. It's not going to help them. Yet that's what people continually go back to until I realized that until we addressed the mindset and the habits, people would not improve. Once I made that, that mental shift or that mindset shift for myself, I was able to help clients make that. I realized that my time in the three hours I was spending with them was best spent trying to improve the other 165 hours. And if that meant sit, sitting down with them and coaching them through mindset challenges and putting their success habits in place. Those are things that were a much greater return on the time investment. And what I noticed is that not only did people get more fit and lose weight because they were actually doing the things that they were supposed to do, they were actually improving the rest of their life. People would come to me and say, oh, my relationships at home are so much better. I'm sleeping better. I have so much more energy. I got a promotion at work. I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm so much more creative. All these things were happening simply because they were able to put the pieces in place to allow them to get healthier and more fit. And it's not that people don't want to get healthy and fit, they do it. And in fact, one of the questions I ask people when they first sit down with me, and they say, I want to lose X number of pounds and, and get in better shape. And I'll say, you understand that regular exercise and healthy eating is important to accomplish that goal. And they all look at me and say, yeah, yeah, I, I realize that. And I'll say, okay, so why aren't you doing it? If you already know what to do, what's the issue? And then that highlights the fact that, oh, it's not just about fitness and nutrition. It's about the mindset, the habits, and the framework we put in place each day 
to facilitate the accomplishment of all the goals and objectives that we have. Now, this isn't rocket science. At the fundamental level, people understand this, yet it's not being done consistently. And we, when we look at it from an employee and workplace performance standpoint, it becomes just as important for the company and for employees as it does for every individual out there. As mentioned earlier, we all face curveballs in life. That's just part of life. But there's a common curveball that often holds people back from accomplishing the health, fitness that they desire, particularly as it relates to work. And that's that the belief that health and fitness is a zero-sum game. In order to be healthy and fit, I need to give up something else in my life, time with family, uh, work success. And that is a complete myth. In fact, the opposite is true. The healthier and more active and happy and fit someone is, the more they're going to have the energy, the enthusiasm, the drive, the motivation to accomplish things in other areas of their life. Another common curveball or myth that people believe that holds them back is the fact that people think to be healthy and fit that requires undying devotion to going to the gym every day. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, I own several gyms and I don't believe people should spend all the time there. What we do in the gym should allow us to be better outside the gym. And if you hate going to the gym, we want to look at the mindset side of that first of all. But if the gym's not your place, you don't after ever have to step foot in a gym in your life. You can still be completely healthy, completely fit, and never step foot in a gym. You don't have to do traditional weight training. Do something else that gets you active, gets your body moving. And we can talk about that in, in another episode. But the fact is, you don't ever have to do traditional workouts. You just have to move your body. And I'll talk about that when we briefly uh, review each pillar in a minute here. So let's take a quick look at each pillar. This will hopefully help you wrap your brain around what we're talking about a bit more. Starting off with pillar number one, mindset. As mentioned, this is the most important of the four pillars. And I define mindset as the filter through which we see the world. It sets the stage for everything else to come yet it's the most neglected in people who struggle with change. Now, our goal with mindset is to cultivate a positive and growth-oriented mindset in as many areas of life as possible. If you want a great book on it, a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, fantastic. She talks about the difference between growth versus fixed mindset. And again, we're not going to dive too deep into it right now, but fantastic book. One of the key learnings from that book is that, yes, your mindset can be changed, your mindset, it's the culmination of all your thoughts, your beliefs, attitudes, experiences, actions, and the outcomes you've achieved in life. Since these are always changing, so is our mindset. When we learn how to tune into those different aspects of our life and, and what we're thinking are, what our thoughts, our beliefs, our attitudes are, we can make positive change. We can choose to shift our perspective. So shifting your mindset involves a number of key areas. One is identifying your mission, vision, values, goals. And again, we are familiar with this from the corporate side. Now, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole uh, for the, from the corporate side because I believe a lot of 
corporate mission, vision, values are just words on a plaque and they sit on a wall and no one ever follows them. True mission, vision, values, and goals are intricately linked. We want to live based on the deepest values that we hold. And we set our mission and vision to inspire us. And our goals are set up around that. Every individual, I believe, should have that. Because if you don't, you're just randomly going through life without that purpose or connection and that passion to drive your purpose. Next step is auditing your beliefs. We have so many beliefs and a lot of them are completely false and holding us back. We want to critically assess the things that we've taken for granted in our life. Uh, We see lots of this around personal performance. People think, oh, I'm, I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at this or I'm or I'm really smart in this area. As Carol Dweck would say, we've got fixed mindset in some areas of life and growth mindset in others. But being able to look at some of those deep beliefs that help form the basis of that mindset is really important to being able to move past them. If someone has told us since we were a kid that we're not good at something, maybe we've stopped practicing, we've stopped trying to learn because we just think that that's how it is. When we really critically look at that, we can start to realize that, hey, you know what? Maybe I do have the capability. And in fact, from science and research, we, do, we know that everyone has the ability to improve and grow and being able to cultivate a growth mindset in as many areas of life as possible is a key aspect of creating success in life. As mentioned earlier, one of the aspects of transforming your mindset is goals. And almost everyone in the corporate world is familiar with setting goals. We do it on an annual and quarterly basis uh, for our company, for teams within or- and organizations within the company. The process is nothing new, yet very few people actually set specific, measurable, you know, the, the SMART goals approach for their personal life. They don't sit down and write them down. And this is, again, another critically important part. Now, at at Fresh, we like to go beyond, uh, with my company, we go beyond SMART goals and we do smarter goals. And we can explore that in another episode. But the fact is, most people don't learn how to set effective goals and do that in both professional and personal. Because if you're not doing it in personal that's an area of your life that's being held back because goals work. Goals that are properly done work. Goals that are not properly done can actually be demotivating. So if we look at the, the corporate side, I think this is an, well, I believe this is a really essential employee training skill that not a lot of companies put in place. Remember that our mindset is how we see the world. So shifting it is that catalyst for change. It's the foundational, the keystone structure that is going to facilitate all the rest of the change. Let's jump into habits now. So if mindset is our filter through which we see the world, habits are the framework with which we implement that mindset. Now, we're all familiar with habits. We have them in every area of our life. The key is to identify which ones are working for us and which ones are working against us. And also to realize that habits can be changed. A lot of people think it's really difficult to build habits. 
but you've built every single habit you currently have in your life. Now, this past year and a half with the pandemic has shifted a lot of habits. Think of all the new things you're doing now that you hadn't been doing a year and a half ago that you probably take for granted at this point. So habits are constantly changing. The key is to understand the habit framework and the process, the science behind how habits are created and formed, and then to be able to essentially hack that system. I'm not a big fan of that word, but to modify and tweak the system to your own needs. If we say, hey, this habit's not working for us, it might have been good and helpful at some point, but I need to change it now. When we understand the habit change process, we can fairly easily implement new habits that are more proactive and progressive and performance-based in our life. This is where things can get a bit frustrating for people and they often give up because they say, well, I don't even know where to start. What habits do I start to change? And they might end up focusing on things that don't really make as big of an impact. They put effort and energy into create, or creating a new habit, but it's really one that is not the most important one. And we have to just look around fitness and nutrition to see that. People say, I'm going to build a habit by going to the gym for two hours a day, six days a week. And maybe they've never gone to the gym before. They haven't set their mindset around going to the gym. They don't have the habits in place to to support that process. And they wonder why they fail. This is the, the New Year's resolution issue in a nutshell. After working with thousands of clients over the past 30 years, I've been able to break it down to three what I call daily success habits. And these are things that some of you already have in place, but very few people have all of them in place and dialed in effectively. And they're based around times a day. So the first one is a solid morning routine. At Fresh, we call it the Fresh Start Morning Method. Then we have daytime performance habits. I call these energy accelerators, focus finders, and pattern interrupts. The third one is a strategic evening routine. And I call this the evening wrap-up ritual. Now, we can create all kinds of habits, but when we look at the setting the foundation for our success, having these three habits in place makes a world of difference. It really is the engine that drives performance in every other area of life. At the most fundamental level, these can be reframed as three simple statements. The morning routine is get up and get motivated. The daytime ones are stay energized and focused. And the evening ones are wind down and set yourself up for success tomorrow. That's it. There are many nuances, of course, and other factors involved. But when we look at people who are struggling with performance, it's usually because one or more of these success habits are missing. Individuals that have them dialed in are much more likely to perform well. Companies that help employees learn these skills and support their implementation are going to benefit in in enormous ways. As discussed earlier, once we have our mindset dialed in, we have our mission, vision, values, we set some goals, we've got some motivation behind them, and we have our three key success habits in place, it's so much easier to exercise regularly and eat well because we already have the framework dialed in, our minds focused on the things that we're doing to improve our performance. 
at this point, life becomes a lot easier. As far as the actual fitness and nutrition, or movement and fuel as I like to call them, because it's much more than just fitness and nutrition, there are some basic principles to follow. With the movement side, I call it movement for that specific reason, because it's not about fitness. There's a concept that I created called the movement spectrum that explains it perfectly. Movement at the foundational level is just taking the joints in your body through their full range of motion. And ideally, we do that as many times a day as we can. One of the first homework assignments I give clients is what I call the mobility minute or movement minute. And it's as soon as their feet hit the floor in the morning, they stand up and they take every joint in their body through its full range of motion. Usually we start at the head and work down to the feet. So you move all the the neck muscles and take the joints through their full range of motion. Then you do the, the spine and the shoulders and your hips and wrists and elbows, knees, ankles. Literally, it takes a minute. But the fact is, most people don't do that. Most people get up bleary-eyed, stumble to the bathroom or grab their cup of coffee and then they're either into their day or they're sitting for the entire day the human body was meant to move and so addressing the fundamental aspect of movement is a catalyst for everything else you're going to do in your in your day-to-day life from a movement standpoint so movement taking your all the joints in your body through its full range of motion the next step in the movement spectrum is activity And activity is dead simple. It's just the activities of daily living. The pandemic over the past year and a half has highlighted this aspect extremely well. We are a lot less active each day than we were a year and a half ago. It's just hands down. I know my personal step count went from about 8,500 a day on average down to about 1,500 to 2,000 in an average day if I'm not focusing on it. And I'm someone who's highly tuned into the aspects of the movement spectrum. So this activity component is where the 10,000 steps a day came from. It's a fascinating and overlooked aspect. Now, the actual number 10,000 was just a random thing that some researchers came up with. It doesn't, you know, it's a nice goal to shoot for, but it's not essential that you hit that. The key thing is that we move our body more. We get out and we be active. We go walk. We pick things up. We do more manual labor. We take the stairs and instead of the elevator, the escalator, simple things like that add up. And again, the human body was meant to move. So movement, take the joints through the range of motion, uh, full range of motion activity, be as active as we can each day. Notice how I haven't said anything about the gym. Exercise is the next one. Exercise is simply activity done above a baseline of intensity. So if you just get out and go for a walk around the block in the morning uh, while you're maybe drinking your coffee or just taking in some of the, the scenery and you're just out for a casual walk, that's activity. If you go out and you walk a bit more briskly and you get a bit of a sweat going, that's considered exercise. It doesn't really matter what activity you do at a higher level of intensity. It's exercise. You're challenging your body to increase the heart rate level, put out a bit more force from the muscles. That's important. Again, nothing to do with the gym. 
what happens is the next step in the phase is fitness. So we've gone movement, activity, exercise, and then fitness. Fitness is exercise done with a specific purpose. That might be you're increasing your heart rate to work on your cardiovascular uh, capacity. You might be challenging yourself by lifting some weights to improve muscle strength. That's fine, but it's optional. You don't need it for general health and well-being. It's nice to do, and as people progress through the movement spectrum, that's a logical progression for many people. Performance is simply fitness done in a competitive environment, whether it's for time or against an opponent. Lots of different reasons for for doing that, but again, it's optional. Fitness and performance are optional. You do not have to do them. And this is the issue that a lot of people come fall into is they forget about movement, activity, and exercise, and they go directly to fitness and performance. This is what I call the weekend warrior syndrome. And it's why a huge reason why physiotherapists are in business because people don't move their body. They don't do the base level foundation for health and well-being, yet they expect their body to perform at a high level. If you've been sitting at a desk all day and your body's tight and restricted and hasn't moved and there's very little blood flow and your brain and muscles aren't connected and then you jump up and go to the gym and you expect your body to perform well, it just doesn't work. That's how people get injured. That's how they get frustrated because they're like, oh, I'm not seeing the results that I want. And at our coaches at Fresh, when we're working with clients on the, on the movement side, we will often spend 20 or 30 minutes getting their body, like rehabbing their body from a sitting all day to get them so they can actually move effectively for the workout that they want to do. Yet most people don't do that. They just jump headlong into a fitness class or you know, they pull out their Peloton app or some, whatever app they're using and they just dive into it. They do a one or two minute warm up as part of, and it's maybe a couple basic exercises and then they're right into something high intensity and they wonder why their body hurts and they're not able to get the results they want. So understanding the movement spectrum is critical to making sure that you're properly caring for your body and your health, your well-being over time. In another episode, I'll dive a bit deeper into the movement side and we'll, we'll talk a bit about the seven primal movement patterns. I'll also throw some resources in the show notes here if you want to jump in and click on some of the videos and links for, uh, for these, the movement spectrum as well as the seven primal patterns. And this brings us to the last pillar of fuel. And again, I've called it fuel because it's more than nutrition. Food is so much more than just calories in, calories out. Food nourishes our, our social aspects, our, our mind, our body, our health, our well-being. There's, there's so much emotion involved in food, negatively for a lot of people. But food is something that we need to sustain us for life, but it's so much more than that. And when we can understand and embrace food in, in a different way, think of it our mindset around food, we're able to overcome so many of the challenges that people face around nutrition and weight loss. And there's a reason that fuel is the last of the four pillars. It's still important, but the other three are more important. Once we have our mindset dialed in, 
once we have the foundational framework of habits in place and we're moving our body effectively using the movement spectrum, nutrition becomes easy. We're able to see our food choices from a more positive, proactive mindset. We're, we've got our goals in place, so we're caring for our body and we're much more likely to want to eat healthy, nutritious food that lifts us up rather than makes us feel like garbage. The other thing to consider is that most people already know what healthy, nutritious food is. They're just not eating it. It goes back again to the mindset and the habits. If you have the right mindset, you'll start to make more positive choices. If you have the habits in place, you'll take some of the behavioral challenges out of it and allow a schedule, a proper eating schedule. You'll be able to plan your meals and make your own food and lunches and these, these simple behavioral challenges that a lot of people face and struggle with each day. And there are a lot of nutritionists and dietitians that have argued with me about why fuel is the final one because people say, well, abs are built in the kitchen, not in the gym. And I'm like, yeah, but nothing happens until mindset and habits are in place. And by moving our body, we're able to increase the endorphins and the positive uh, hormones throughout the body, which allow us to make more positive and effective decisions around nutrition and food in our life. And again, I can go deeper into the fuel topic in another episode, but I want to bring it back to the corporate side right now, because all the things we've been talking about today are about personal health, well-being, and performance in life. Yet they're also fundamental to our ability to perform at work. Companies that understand this are able to help employees improve their performance. Employees that understand this are able to show up more effectively at work with more energy and create better work. It's just, it's proven time and time again, yet I'm still amazed at how many people and companies overlook these simple principles. So the four pillars of performance, if you're wanting to improve your performance, your team's performance, your company's performance, find a way to dial them in. Of course, I'm happy to help if you want. For more information on the four pillars themselves, you can check out my book, The Fitness Curveball. It's been recently broken into four separate books, one for each pillar, and a little more digestible for a lot of people. The other thing for companies, we go in and do corporate presentations, employee training programs, and design and manage workplace wellness programs across the entire organization. Most companies will say they have a workplace wellness program, yet very few companies are specifically addressing these four pillars within the organization with employees and have the programs in place to actually improve them. Because while programs might exist, they're not being used, and the ones that are being used are not producing the results that need to happen. That's where workplace wellness, in my opinion, needs to go in the future. And whether it's me or Fresh that helps you or someone else, make sure that those changes are happening because without it, performance for individuals will continue to suffer and companies won't reap the benefits that improved employee health and well-being can have across the organization. So check out thefitnesscurveball.com or timboris.com. I'd love to chat. 
Once you start implementing these for yourself, let me know what results you're getting. And if there are workplace wellness programs in your company that are really working well, I would love to hear. Have an amazing day. Until next time, be well and keep active. Thank you for listening to the Working Well Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life, so please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.